everybody, and welcome to the Kane and Rinse podcast, volume 8, issue 375. It's Donkey Kong, and another game called Donkey Kong. You can play along with the show. We've got podcasts coming up covering games such as, I mean really, specifically, Dino Crisis. Then we're doing Prey, the 2006 game. After that, it's Inside. And then Dyad. And after that, Pilot Wing 64 following up from our Pilot Wings Super Nintendo show from earlier in the year. You can find the schedule up to the end of the year, up to the end of 2019 at com, and links to all our other ventures and outlets and arms and organs. Whatever you want to find of us, it's there. You can get the show, this, this podcast, every week, one week earlier than non-subscribers by supporting us. It's only a dollar a month. That's our one and only Patreon tier. That's all we ask. It's around 78p or 0.88 of a euro at the time of recording. Patreon.com slash And not only do you get shows early, you often get them extended. You get our platform specials three months early and you get an exclusive monthly bonus podcast as well. We can't say fairer than that. So please do sign up at Patreon, Kana Rinse. Much appreciated. We also have a PayPal button if you just want to do that on the homepage. Just donate a quid or 10, whatever you like. We also have a bunch of other podcasts that are all well worth subscribing to and listening to. We have Sound of Play on Wednesdays, where we play music and talk to community members and composers and other folks from in and around the world of video games. Playwright on Thursdays, in which Ryan and Ryan H and Q come up with all new ways to play. And on Fridays, Chris O'Regan talks to the developers who make the real actual games that we play in the Sausage Factory. Subscribe, review and rate this show and all of the above on Apple Podcasts, your RSS feed-based apps, your smart speaker, your Spotify for this show or wherever you get, get your uh, sort of audio media. We also have streams on video now on Sundays. Look out for Chris live on Twitch at 800, no, 2000, that's right, in the evening, UK time. And then on YouTube, he plays some games from various eras. Sometimes they tie in with the show. We recently had... Uh, Darius 2 and Rage Racer, and he's playing Turrican 2 coming up. Uh, the HMS Cana Rinse set sails on Thursdays with the Sea of Thieves crew, Chris and Darren, and sometimes Carl. Anyone else joined you yet on that, Darren? No, Tony did once on the anniversary update, and then he immediately abandoned ship. Ah, uh, okay. One of them. Mm. S- yeah. Deserters. Oh, everyone's talking about it. No, I'm going to get involved. Oh, bye. He probably didn't get enough achievements or something. That's right. Liking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, anyway, yes, live on Twitch again at uh, 8 o'clock in the PM in the UK time, British summer time. And then it goes up on YouTube if you can't watch live. And yeah, so follow us on Twitch. We've got a channel there. We've also got our YouTube channel. But we've also got social media, of course, Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. And Jesse also started streaming on Twitch uh, on Mondays recently. That's a very he? good point. I haven't added him, added him into my list yet. Yeah, Jesse Fuchs. Is also playing some uh, vintage 8 and 16-bit games. He knows a lot about that stuff uh, on Mondays. Yeah, and, awesome. And, and just so everybody can hold me to it, I'm planning to start streaming on Fridays as well. Blimey. And Leah and Sean both have things up their sleeves streaming-wise as well. So, yeah, we're stepping that game up. So, yeah, Twitch and YouTube are the places to find all that. Now joining me, Leon Cox, in issue 375, are Darren D.K. Gargett. <laughs> that is the sound of the original donkey kong that is meant to be him 
making a noise. Is that him grind, grinding tell. his teeth? Is that what He's happened? grinding his teeth. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what a uh, terrible sound. Mikhail <laughs> Jumpman Croder. <laughs> <laughs> You've got that real sense of the low quality samples that uh, the, the arcade <laughs> machine plays. I like it. <laughs> So, according to the cutting room floor, Donkey Kong is the story of a guy named Jumpman, a giant gorilla, a girl named Pauline, and an endlessly looping set of buildings which may or may not contain a pie factory. What? Is it a pie factory, or are they big trays of cement? Does it even exist? Does it even exist? Depends which version you play. I've always seen them as plates of, like, whipped cream or something, like a clown kind of clown show. Right, like custard pies. Yeah, like custard pie. Yeah, like a little kind of, yeah, like a clown factory, like Wario's in the next thing next door. Yeah, you know, conjuring up all sorts of tricks. Yeah, I've never really thought about it until you asked the question. But yeah, every time I see them, they're just custard pies. Okay. Well, that, I guess that's what a lot of people thought. But I think it is meant to be a cement factory. I think it sort of continues the whole yeah. building site theme. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, so obviously for context, this is a pretty old game. People will know it or know of it at least. We'll talk about the different versions and variants and things later on to some degree, although I don't think we've had, between us, had tons of hands-on with all the various clones and copies and conversions, but it's fun just to find out what was going on in that regard. But this is a, a you know, sort of old game, 1981, and it's therefore sometimes difficult to get a hold on what the game actually meant when it was released. But this one was genuinely a standout title in a number of ways back in the day mm. uh, when Steve Weeby, the uh, one of the well, the hero, I suppose, as depicted in the King of Kong famous documentary from 2007. He did a Reddit AMA just earlier this month at the time of recording, June 2019. And he was asked why Donkey Kong? And his response was it was just state of the art graphics at the time, had a great storyline, cool intermissions different levels of play that offered more than other games back in those days. And the music was cool. <laughs> so there you go. Mm-hmm. Uh, might not be what the sort of things that you think coming to it now, but worth remembering for the sake of context. So this is Nintendo's coin-op. Nintendo R&D number one are given the official credit on Wikipedia. They'd already made a bunch of coin-ops up to this point, at least half a dozen or more. Uh, but this is perhaps the one that really saw them break America. However, there's there's a few kind of legal wranglings around Donkey Kong, and this one was only, I believe, resolved relatively recently, because while Gunpei Yokoi and Shigeru Miyamoto, excuse me, absolutely did come up with the concept and the game idea and the characters and all that, it seems to be that a company called Ikigami Tsushinki were the people who actually coded the game. Yeah, uh, they coded the game and manufactured the, the boards. Yeah. So uh, some sources claim that Ikigami Tsushinki were also involved in some of the development. They played no role in the game's creation or concept, according to Wikipedia, but were hired to provide, quotes, mechanical programming assistance to fix the the software created by Nintendo. Uh, This sort of went on for quite a while, and it was only people, I think, only knew that the situation was resolved adequately when the Arcade Archives version arrived on the Switch a couple of years ago. Because I think that whole situation between the two companies had meant that the game hadn't been re-released. In fact, the Donkey Kong 64 version that's on there. Interesting at all that they would 
attempt to include the coin-op version on there when they could have just put the NES version on there easily enough. They actually had to reverse engineer it. They Nintendo owned all the assets, so they owned the the art and the music and the and all the gameplay concepts, but they didn't own the code. So Rare effectively had to, as I understand it, reprogram Donkey Kong for that Donkey Kong 64 mini game, which mm-hmm. seems like an enormous amount of effort. It's crazy. So yeah, Nintendo put it out. As I say, uh, Gunpei Yokoi, of course, the creator of uh, the Virtual Boy, the Game Boy, Metroid, uh, sadly uh, deceased in a car accident back in the, was it early 2000s, I think? Um, And yeah, uh, Shigeru Miyamoto at this point was a young artist under the tutelage of Yokoi. And those little bits of amazing music that we've already heard from Mikhail's mouth and Steve Wiebe waxing lyrical about were by Yukio Kaneoka. Uh, She returns, I think Yukio is a female name, isn't it? He or she, I think she, returns for uh, to provide a tune for the NES version that is perhaps more famous, even mm. or as famous. Yeah. So the game was released in Japan in July 1981. It arrived in America just a few weeks later, at the end of July, and at some point, cabinets started popping up in Europe and the UK. Uh, there were upright mini and cocktail cabinet variants, and it was built around the Radar Scope arcade. So, Radar Scope was Nintendo's previous attempt at a video game. It was kind of a Galaxian type game, Space Invaders ish. Wasn't r- really very well considered. Nintendo allude to it sometimes in you know in Smash Brothers and things, but they don't they don't wheel it out like you know on. Um, you, you guys know this. You know WarioWare, how they wheel out Sheriff quite a lot, which is mm-hmm. also one of Nintendo's earliest games. Yeah. Or Ban- Bandido, I think it's called elsewhere. Um, they don't tend to have radar scopers as like an unlockable extra. I don't think they're that proud of it. Nintendo was mainly known at this point for nicking other people's ideas and making quite sloppy clones of existing coin-ops. That's mm. the crazy thing. Um I mean, they sort of did carry that on a bit with um, Balloon Fight, obviously was their homage to Joust. But prior to this, I think they were they were still finding their feet as a video game maker, right? Because they'd been a an analog game maker, Hanafuda cards and all this stuff and various other electronic toys and things up to this point. So I suppose I'm right in thinking they'd only been in video games for about six, seven years at this point. Yeah, yeah. So, you know. sounds about right. So, yeah, this is a Z80 CPU game. Uh, they, they were common and relatively inexpensive, but obviously because they were a microprocessor in the late 70s, early 80s, they were expensive, like all things were. And the one that runs the Donkey Kong coin-op runs at a whopping 3.072 megahertz. It's a, displayed on a raster monitor, vertical display, so... Uh, you can play it on your Switch in tape mode, which is very nice if you oh. get the Arcade Archives version. Oh. Uh, it's got a 224 by 256 resolution. That's not many pixels. And it can display 256 colours out of a palette of 768, which was quite a lot of colours for 1981. Uh, and relatively high resolution as well for a 1981 game. It does, uh, you can see, there's, uh, it's there in the detail and the characters, which is, I think, obviously what Steve Wiebe was, uh, was talking about being appealing. You can see Donkey Kong, who's made up of like six sprites. You can see his facial expressions. Mm. Uh, this was, we hadn't seen a really, a, probably a, too many characters of that size and that level of sort of cartoon looking animation at this point in coin-op video games. No, no, definitely. 
So our own histories with the game, I don't suppose any of us really go back to playing the arcade machine in 1981, not even me in this case. Uh, I may have done, but uh, let's start with uh, the youngest member of the DK crew, Darren. <laughs> yeah, oh, you did. Uh, yeah, so me and Donkey Kong, the original, it's really hazy. I can't really tell you, Adam, yeah. when I played it. Um, my friend, um, well, Kevin Hack, I'll call him. Oh, yeah, I'll, I'll name him. There you go. Called him out. He had an Atari, and we played a lot of mo- mo- uh, Moon Patrol. That's the little buggy from left to right, jumping over holes. Yeah, and by IRM, yeah. And yeah, he had a few carts, uh, Pac-Man, this, Donkey Kong, and Moon Patrol. And That's not an ST, though. That's a, You had a VCS going on there. Oh, man. Like, think, or, or an Atari 8-bit computer. I honestly couldn't tell you. That. My, yeah. my brain is just so scattershot, even now. Like, <laughs> it was it's a long just, time ago. It was a long time ago, yeah. I think when, when Donkey Kong, the arcade, came out while I was, yeah, I wasn't even around. So, yeah, I'm really like clutching at straws with my memory but i do recall seeing the donkey kong cart and thinking oh you know that looks really interesting and i don't think we ever played it i don't know why i guess you know we're just kids just i don't know you know messing around with a with a console and then we just went outside you hadn't realized that this character was going to go on to inspire (laughs) your your entire look and personality my whole aesthetic is now pretty much dk influenced (laughs) yeah um yeah uh, so yeah (laughs) the first time i really remember playing it it's kind of like more recently in terms of, you know, relatively recently for consoles. Yeah. Because I think at some point I had it on the Game Boy Advance. I had a, uh, was it, the, did they do a port of that on the Game Boy Advance? It's pre- been pretty much everywhere. I seem to remember, uh, am I right in saying it was on Animal Crossing as well? Am I right in yes, that? Yep. Yeah. So NES prob- version, yeah. That's right, yeah. So I probably dabbled with loads of different variants over the course of, you know, uh, how old yeah. am I now? 36, so... Uh, but I've never really gave it a shot until you had to with DK64 if you wanted to go for the full shebang. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, um, but I, l- let's say whenever I, whenever it came to that bit in DK64, both back then and now, I my stomach kind of turns at the thought of playing it. So, <laughs> right, <laughs> like, but playing this game for the podcast has been quite um, an interesting one for me personally because um, my opinions, yeah, I, I always go in like some games this one in particular i've always gone in thinking oh, i don't like the original dk because of reasons yeah. we'll talk about but then you know when you look at it from a kind of a, a more critical approach you kind of actually walk away thinking yeah god maybe my opinion wasn't as you know as harsh as what i maybe thought so mm-hmm. yeah i've had quite of um not an epiphany but i've had quite of a look of you know a change of heart with the original yeah. dk and like most of these games from this era they don't really settle with me in terms of gameplay because they're really early mm. and they don't really play yeah. the best but yeah um yeah, DK, the original, definitely an, uh, a nebulous memory for me, but one that's kind of, um, you know, I'm kind of glad I'm here playing it now and, you know, because I've kind of looked at it from a different angle. Yeah, finding its place in history. Mm, that's right, yeah. Mm. Mikhail, how about you? Do your memories go back a long way with Donkey Kong? Like uh, Pac-Man and Space Invaders games roughly of the, of the era, um, Donkey Kong was uh, was more than just an arcade cabinet, I think, in those days. It was so- sort of like a pop cultural uh, phenomenon. Mm-hmm. So I might have seen the cabinet of Don- uh, Donkey Kong. Pac-Man, I definitely do remember seeing the cabinet because that might have been the first time I laid eyes on an actual video game. Um, but, you know, Donkey Kong was on LCD game and watch type games. It was on little tabletop, uh, full color uh, little, you know, arcade machines uh, that uh, some of my classmates used to have. Uh, it, uh, yeah, it, w- it was on home ports on all sorts of systems. So, yeah, I mean, 
I do remember uh, Donkey Kong from very early on, only probably not in its not that um, crystal clear in its original arcade guys. Um, then fast forward to 1987 or 88 when we got our NES with a whole bunch of games yeah. and uh, the a, a bunch of the original black box series games were among those as well, uh, including Donkey Kong and Donkey Kong 3. You know, it was uh, it was really fun uh, getting into those games, but uh, we also had newer games like Super Mario Brothers and Castlevania and the likes. So it's it's very funny when you think about those early NES days in Europe because it was almost like you got two generations of games all at once. Like every everything was released in the same year because we had a lot of catching up to do. So you know, um, if you would asked me to pick between playing the original Donkey Kong or Super Mario Brothers, I would have chosen Super Mario Brothers every time. Yeah. But since we had all those games, uh, we, you know, we spent a lot of time with uh, with even those uh, primitive single-screen uh, games that uh, that came with it. Uh, Wrecking Crew was another one. And yeah, I have to credit the NES version of Donkey Kong with, with one thing, one thing at least, and that is that it's sort of made me appreciate that older games, you know, primitive games of the early 1980s could still be very addictive and playable because I yes. did enjoy it quite a bit. And again, like I said, if you would make me choose at gunpoint uh, between uh, Super Mario Brothers and Donkey Kong, I would go with Super Mario Brothers. But I did yeah. get an appreciation for those uh, single screen games like Wrecking Crew and, uh, and Donkey Kong and even Donkey Kong 3. So, mm. yeah, that was, uh, you know... Um, that that was probably my my most hands-on and intense uh, experience with Donkey Kong, but it was sort of like it was the NES version was pretty easy to clear, so you got through the three stages because the the the, the, the you know the the cement factory stage was omitted from it, of course, as we already probably alluded to. Uh, so it was just like playing a single loop, and then I was sort of done with it. Over the years, I we also mentioned Donkey Kong 64, um, so, which was probably the first time that I ever really got hands-on with any approximation of the arcade version. It was all right, you know. It was it was uh, it was much more challenging than the NES version, but still still quite mm-hmm. doable. So when I eventually got the original ROM set on my hacked uh, Xbox of the the US version, I was taken by surprise what a mean and nasty game it is yeah. <laughs> because i yeah. always since my i had such a breezy experience with the other versions yeah. i always sort of had underestimated this game oh it's a really simple game where you just hop over the barrels you get to the top of the stage and that's that you know the uh the american version that uh, everybody's still trying to this day to set world records on yeah. uh isn't uh, playing along that nicely no, I only have the very, very vaguest of memories of maybe playing a Donkey Kong coin-op back in my youth. I remember, as I've spoken about many times on the podcast, of playing different games as far back as the late 70s. I have possibly the vaguest recollection of att- attempting to play a Donkey Kong machine and maybe being the international version that we probably would have got. I probably lasted about 30 seconds, if that, with my mm. three lives and probably thought I'm never playing that again. And I don't, yeah, I don't recall seeing the coin-op in the arcades of Brighton and the wider UK really much at all in my youth. So I don't know if it just wasn't such a big hit in the UK as it was in America uh, and Japan. 
but I do remember a friend getting hold of the dual screen gamer watch that Nintendo mm. released. So it was an official conversion. I believe Miyamoto had uh, had much to do with it, and obviously Gunpei Yokoi had actually come up with the idea of the the game and watches if i remember rightly so um so that was very much an official port being an lcd game handheld it was much simpler and easier than the coin op but i kind of uh, i i borrowed it off a friend he gave me like a long-term loan of it and i absolutely yeah mastered it like mm. I, you know i could clock it basically so that was my main experience really of donkey kong i managed to avoid the official conversions and the clones i never had one for my atari 8-bit computer or or my Amiga, and I don't think I played a Donkey Kong game again until Animal Crossing, until I got the Donkey Kong cart in, in with my Famicom NES games in, in Animal Crossing. So um, since then, I've bought it on Virtual Console a few times, the NES version. And as soon as the Arcade Archives version came out on Switch, uh, it was an absolute must-buy for me to add to my collection. And uh, I've played it enough but not nearly enough to be competent. Uh, Mikhail's hmm. showing off his latest international version high score later, which is, uh, which is actually even higher than my high score for the e- much easier Japanese version. So, uh, but yeah, I've been around, I've, I've been around a few loops uh, on most of the versions, but uh, yeah, the international version is, uh, it, it really is, we can't stress this enough, it's an entirely different proposition. And we'll, hmm. go, into, we'll go into why, if you've only played the NES version, you've... Hmm possibly had fun time but you really haven't played the game that king of kong is about mm. uh only a, a sort of a soft facsimile of it yeah exactly in the king yeah. of kong they mentioned like donkey kong is one of the har- hardest games ever made and when i saw the saw it originally yeah. uh, i hadn't played the uh the u.s version yet yeah. or the international version and i was yeah. like yeah right i know so many yeah. games that are harder <laughs> but, yeah. yeah recently i played the nes version on my 3ds yeah. Um, 3DS or Wii U, one of the two older, well, oldish Nintendo consoles. Mm-hmm. Well, Wii U, I honestly I can't remember. My brain's all over the place. But either way, I put it on and I was like, this game doesn't seem all that difficult. Like I'm on like the third level and it's already looping. But what's going on? It didn't seem right to me because I had played the 64 version earlier on this year. Yeah. So then I put the 64. I say the 64. The DK64 version went to Frantic Factory. You know, pulled the arcade lever and it was like. Oh, but there's like 10 times the amount of barrels on screen. I'm probably exaggerating, but it felt like there was just an immediate onslaught of barrels coming, mm. like, ver- you know, vertically down and across the, um, yeah. the iconic slanted um, girders. And it's just like, yes. this game is intense. And I couldn't even get to Pauline without, you know, without, without any truck. Well, without even, I couldn't even get to there. It was just so, it was just ridiculously hard. But then. And by the way, that version isn't as hard as the international version that um, Mikhail's been playing. I, th- I mean, are we going to get into it now? But I'm really curious as to know, sure. like, how do they step this game up in terms of... Because I watched King of Kong thinking, I know I know Donkey Kong as a game. It's, you yeah. know... But then it turns out there's all these kind of variants and, you know, um, yeah, easy modes. We'll hit more of that further down. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm very on. curious. Yeah. So uh, just to go back, the development was, uh, according to Miyamoto, inspired by Popeye, the idea of Bluto sort of going off with olive oil. Uh, Beauty and the Beast, of course, and obviously King Kong, which provoked a failed lawsuit from Universal Studios. Yeah, that, that was sp- specifically aimed at the ColecoVision version of, uh, of yeah. Donkey Kong. Yeah. yeah, which, I mean, I don't know why they specifically went for that one, given that it was already in existence, but for whatever reason, their lawyers caught wind of it. 
Coleco were converting it to multiple formats as well as their own console. And I suppose mm. uh, they were conscious at Universal Studios that that game was making a lot of money, a lot of money. Uh, so the name Donkey Kong, that's also the stuff of legends. Uh, there's been uh, a false urban myth suggesting that it was supposed to be called Monkey Kong mm. uh, and it was misspelled or misinterpreted, which has happened in the case of video games before, but not on this, uh, not in this case. It's actually more to do, well, the theory is it's more to do with uh, Miyamoto looking up um, something that would mean, a word that would mean stubborn in English and came up with uh, with donkey known for their sort of stubborn attitude and kong as common slang for gorilla presumably having been born out of the movies also worth saying although the the original king kong i think was 1933 the dino de laurentis version of king kong was 1976 so it was kind of back in the public eye again um in the seven in the late mid late 70s so uh, it's not surprising that it was an influence and uh, was mm. in people's minds. Jumpman, of course. So Mario in this game is later dubbed Mario in, in subsequent versions, but not in the original release. He was simply called Jumpman, uh, which apparently was named because of the popularity of Pac-Man and Sony's Walkman. So there you go. Makes sense. Uh, of course, later Mario Sigali, the uh, manager, building manager or something at Nintendo America. Yeah, land landlord. Apparently. Landlord, that's right, yeah. yeah. They renamed Jumpman to Mario. Pauline, named after Polly James, wife of Nintendo warehouse manager Don James. <laughs> uh, <laughs> 2,000 unsold radar scope cabinets were converted into DK units. The development cost 100,000 US dollars, which would have been a fair amount of money in 1980 times. Hmm. Perhaps the most significant single thing from a video game historian's point of view is that we believe i've done some research and it seems that it's commonly believed that donkey kong is the first platform game with jumping which makes it pretty extraordinarily significant not the plus first platform game there were previous games base panic and crazy climber that involved climbing up ladders and going along levels levels and ladders games but this had a jump button and i think that made it the first obviously went on to inspire a billion games but uh soon after we had uh minor 2049er and then manic minor and lots of minors hmm. this game literally has four inputs doesn't it in fact i noticed on the in the sort of dip switch settings in the hamster version on switch you can actually turn off the uh the you can set it so that the game doesn't respond to an, uh, to diagonals at all hmm. as per the original so the original just responds to up, down, left, right, and one button. And that is it, I believe. Uh, uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure. Maybe, maybe you can have it so that it responds to diagonals. But obviously in terms of walking under a ladder and then pushing up in the Switch version, you can already be pushing up as you're walking along. So mm. you have the diagonal held. But I think in the original, you have to be super precise about it, which yeah. I think may be another way in which the game is harder in its natural state as it were so yeah uh, we talked about the title and the scenario the characters obviously it's kind of hard for us now coming to a mario game as we know it in 2019 and talking about the appeal of mario but can we ruminate on what steve weeby said and is there something just kind of archetypally steve weeby mentioned uh, a story 
the game had a story. Yeah, right, right. And ooh, I, I wrote an article for GamePro like uh, decades ago about how uh, Jumpman, uh, as in uh, as in Donkey Kong, uh, might have been one of the very first notable, recognizable human characters. And not only that, he wasn't a knight. Mm. He wasn't a spaceman. He was just a workman, really. You know, some mm-hmm. some somebody that uh, a lot of uh, working class people could. Uh, potentially identify with yeah 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 no it's true pac-man was a fairly surreal yellow face yeah there were spaceships and there's an asteroid and then space invaders and yeah and everything and here we have a little human-like character yes and again uh, obviously we know it's uh, often been repeated the fact that the reason he has a mustache is because they wanted to separate his nose Mm. from his mouth basically Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Pauline's kind of got a crazy face. Uh, she's <laughs> she's two pixels high though, so they could have that extra bit of um, two sprites yeah. high. Sorry, not two pixels, so they could add a bit of extra detail. But she's a she's a, I mean no offense by this, but she's a, she's a funny looking lady in the game. <laughs> yeah, and then there you mentioned archetypes. There's the whole archetypical man versus beast story at play here. Yeah. you know, like a huge hulking force of nature versus mm. uh, a little little worker guy. And also a very so, kind of obvious and immediately apparent uh, aim. Yeah. Get get to the top from the bottom. Mm. And I think even, again, imagine a time when you'd never played a game that involved you running mm. and jumping at the same time before. But yeah. I think even in 1981, it would have been immediately apparent what you were trying to do. And the game actually says, you know, how high, how high can you get on the international version? says how how high can you try on the original japanese version which <laughs> yeah. is uh, which is enjoyable but it doesn't have that same call to arms for getting absolutely wasted that the uh, that the international version exactly <laughs> yeah yeah so on a technical level uh, as i say the the game is um, moving a fair amount of things around there's a little bit of uh, sprite flicker even on the original coin op when there's multiple barrels in play but it really does that first screen particularly, it really is throwing a lot of stuff. The fact that the game's got slopes in it is unusual Mm. uh, at that point. I mean, even it took uh, Mario's home games until, what, 1990 to have slopes in the 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 Super Mario World levels? Yeah, Super Mario Brothers 3. Yeah, Yeah. third one had slopes in, definitely. Yeah, Um, so, uh, yeah, I understand that when Miyamoto said, you know, we want slopes so the barrels can roll down, I think the, the sort of, Gunpei Yokoi's response was like, well, that's going to be really difficult, you know, on to program much. Mm. The maths is much more complicated to do to do something like that. Uh, it's interesting. I think it's only the first level that has the slopes, isn't it? But it is the iconic, the iconic first mm-hmm. stage. Yeah. Uh, the one that's uh, probably, yeah, if you picture Donkey Kong in your mind, that's probably the one you see. Although maybe because of couple of reasons the king of kong documentary going so in depth on the screen with the bouncy springy thing and the fact that it also is on smash brothers that stage isn't it yeah uh so i think maybe that one's almost as well known yeah and and it's got that really irritating repetitive noise that that kind of sticks in my head as like one yeah. of the standouts because that trampoline thingy is just the yes. most relentlessly noisy thing <laughs> it, ever programmed by humans yeah. I actually think the whole game is quite abrasively noisy. Mm. The fact that I mean, Mario waddles he, along with exactly. his yeah. and he has, noise. He, he has squeaky shoes. He has squeaky yeah. Really squeaky shoes. 
<laughs> yeah. Um, as we, as as Mikhail's impression alluded to, the actual music sounds like it's kind of produced at an incredibly low bit rate. And then yeah. you've got you got Donkey Kong, who we heard from, thanks to Darren, with his teeth grinding kind of uh, low white noise or something. I don't know what you call it. Um, you've got Mario's squeaky shoes waddling, and then you've got every couple of I don't know every 20 seconds or 30 seconds depending on how you're playing he picks up a hammer and you get the incredibly sort of um yeah a scraping sort of uh hammer theme of you know all that um it's quite a it's it's quite a a cacophony i would say this game but but for all that you know the the sounds have definitely become iconic the opening thing you know that's like um uh it's like a famous iconic thing it's something you'd get out of an old you know a much older movie even isn't it that Mm. sort of i don't know if it's an actual chord progression sequence that is from something or whether it's just it just sounds like that kind of you know something scary from it reminds me of like jaws or something you know it's it's almost like a like a, a a common commonly used uh, snippet of classical music to introduce right. a villain on a stage, mm, like, yes. in a, like in an old theater play as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Apparently, originally, there was going to be more speech in the game, um, more actual, you know, voice samples, because uh, we do get a little bit from Pauline, <laughs> don't we? Apparently, there was at one stage, she was going to shout something every time Mario jumped. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that God. would have been... Yeah, that would have been. I, I assume they knocked that on the head because it was utterly infuriating. <laughs> this is going too far. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, um, and yeah, as we said, uh, the NES version ended up with an extra little bit of music, which was added by the original composer, which is the bit that I guess a lot of people our age will be very familiar with because it kicks off the music that you hear at the very start of the original oh, yeah. Donkey Kong Country. Country, yeah, it's mm-hmm. what Cranky Kong plays on his uh, gramophone. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, how high can you try? Let's talk about getting up the ladders and getting to the top of the screen. So there's four screens in this game. The order in which you come across them will vary wildly. As Mikhail's already said, if you play the international version, you may never even get to see screens three and four, depending on how how much you practice. Uh, If you play the Japanese version or the NES version, you'll see at least three of the screens quite Mm. fairly easily, I would say. Mm -hmm. Um, So Mikhail, tell us about your journey of getting halfway decent at the the mean mother version of donkey kong like what's what have you learned what's what's good about it why have you actually been other than playing it for the show what is it that kept you playing and trying to get better because i suppose if there's one thing that i associate with playing donkey kong is it feels quite sticky and stodgy compared Mm. to modern games yeah even mario games that would arrive just a few years down the line Mm. mario is quite he's quite reluctant to be manoeuvrable, which even compared to the other game we're going to be talking about on this show is a bit of a culture shock. Yeah. Well, his, his movement is very limited. His jumps don't go very far, maybe one, one or one and a half character to the left or right. If you uh, jump forward or backward. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. They, they, he, they only jump up. Uh, He only jumps up like his character size. Yeah. his mm-hmm. walking speed is very very slow. Uh, climbing ladders is a matter of position. Uh, making sure the animation has finished is a matter of position. But once you yeah. understand those restrictions and all those rules, mm. um, it's perfectly playable and responsive. I would say. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
yeah, it's just it's just something you have to get the grips with. Um, I never uh, really spent much time on the uh, international version of uh, of Donkey Kong up until I got it recently yeah. because I felt like you know I've been playing a, a, the odd credit here and there on the hacked Xbox and never got very much. But I felt like for the show I have to legitimize my uh, copy of uh, of the original Donkey Kong, so I got the uh, arcade archives version on the on the switch the hamster one yeah and you know i started playing a little bit see how how well i could do and it became oddly compelling even in a sense that uh when i wasn't playing the game i was thinking of tactics and strategies and uh i became um yeah i mean i'm not i i can't afford the luxury to become obsessed by a game uh anymore like some of the uh you know the world record holders but i could definitely i've i've started started feeling the pull of the game yeah um and this is maybe talking about the game on a macro level and and going quite far far already but i think it's precisely the idea that um you can't play a perfect game of donkey kong unlike pac-man where yeah. where uh if you can coax the ghosts in a cer- certain way you can yes. always repeat the same fact you can completely memorize that game so to speak it's 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 an enormous feat to do so but yes. it's it's a theory a theoretically a theoretically and practically possible since yeah you can make it play the same every time play exactly. out the same way which you cannot do with this game because of yeah. certain pseudo random factors i suppose you'd call them with the rise of Breath of the Wild and the discussion about systemic g- gameplay, you could almost call Donkey Kong a systemic game because the ingredients are there. Uh, the levels are all fixed. There, there's nothing that's changeable about that. But then the um, movement of barrels, yeah. uh, sequence of uh, different types of springs, uh, the, flames. the mov- movement of the flames are all completely random. Yeah. So you get this, you know, you you start developing not more and more knowledge of the game. You start developing safe tactics. You start developing scoring tactics, but you always have to be on your p's and q's because yeah, crazy stuff, unexpected things will happen. And to the game's credit, there is a lot of if you successfully manage to minimize risks, there are a lot of split second. Uh, saves you can, you can make you can do some pretty crazy stuff uh uh yeah well, even the fact that he can jump backwards is a is a yeah exactly a big, a big deal compared to even a, a lot of games i played a yeah. lot of platform games in the 80s particularly home computer games where the character's jump was absolutely fixed as soon as you press the mm-hmm. jump button you were locked into an arc and uh momentum wasn't taken into account mm-hmm. all it was was you jump you go in this triangle or this parabola and you probably die at the end of it and you can tell that that's going to happen. But here you can make split second last minute decisions to jump ever so slightly backwards. Yeah, exactly. And things like that. Yeah. yeah. You know, my, my score is a, uh, my current high score on the, the Switch version is a Paltry uh, 36,100. That is not uh, bad, by the way. I mean... Yeah, it's all it's all right, but I wouldn't say like like I'm halfway decent. I'm on my way to become halfway sure. decent uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. at the game. You've been chasing the world record. Yeah, I don't have that figure to hand, but yeah, it's something terrifying. Yeah, it's it's like it's the current uh, world record on this version or the arcade 
port equivalent is one million two hundred thousand something something. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know this this game just is crazy exciting once you get into it because of all the random stuff that can happen. You never feel sa- safe when you're climbing up those ramps, and mm-hmm. you know you you're always uh, you, you always move with trepidation and uh, sometimes. I don't know what it is, but sometimes I take these crazy risks that can go horribly wrong or they can pay off immensely. And you get these yeah. little mini victory, uh, you know, uh, uh, these min- little mini explosions of victory while you're yeah. playing the game. It's uh, it's like, yeah, it's it's like heart rate uh, increasing, adrenaline rushing stuff yeah. for a very simple, turgid, slow, slow-moving looking game. Yeah. <laughs> and I suppose one of the things is that because the game really doesn't, other than once every uh, fourth level, although it, it actually ends up being more than that and it starts off less than that on the international version, you get a graphical reward, which is very simple, incredibly simple by modern standards, which is Kong falling from the top of the screen and landing on his head mm-hmm. and getting dazed on the, on the bottom. But there's no, like a lot of modern games, we are we are so used to sort of constant things approving our moment you know even you know nintendo do it like you get round of applause if you do a nice jump these days in a game in this you get none of that it's just this is very much in the old mold of you are just clinging on to survival and it's getting very tense like some of the other games we've talked about like robotron and things like that and actually all the pretty much 99 percent of the sense of achievement is going to be your own it's not going to be the game giving you fireworks yeah. and bells and whistles and things like that yeah so and as I far think... as game progress goes, I've mm. made it into the third loop on the first yes. on the first screen. I haven't mo- been able to move past that one yet. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, there's got... like a ton of barrels that uh, he starts throwing at that. At yeah, that I mean, thinking about that first level, I think that first level is actually. I, d- I don't think um, it's not like the level starts. It, it's not like the sequence starts off at the easiest one and gets harder necessarily mm. either. They're they're all different because the. The layout of each screen, I mean, some people may not even be aware of this. It's four completely different screens in the proper version. Yeah. Like they're all, they've all, not only have they all got completely different layouts, they've all got kind of different um, aims almost. Aims, yeah. yeah. One yeah. of, like one of the, the level with the elevators and the deadly springy thing is about jumping. Now, of course, this being a 1981 platform game, the first platform game with jumping in, you can't fall very far at all. <laughs> so that's, that's a huge part of that. Uh, another game has the old, a sort of variant of something that was popular in games fairly early on, which is sort of, pa- it's it's not quite painting platforms, but it almost is in the sense that you have to walk over these rivets mm. to make the, to make yeah. the stage unstable as it yeah, were. And, to, and to it feels out. completely different from the first stage. Uh, yeah, very yeah. much so. Yeah. yeah it, you got the pile level. It's completely different tactics. Conveyor belts and uh, yeah, cement. Um, and yes, the the even the, the enemies that you're facing, although there 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 is sometimes a a nasty bit of fire that comes out of the uh, the fire barrel at the bottom of the screen on the first level. Mm. Uh, it's nothing compared to the multiple sparks of flame that you'll be dealing with on yeah. some of the other stages. Yeah, you have to really process also on on that first the first stage with the sloping and the barrels and the the Kong throwing stuff at you once you're even on the first stage of the international version but you are really your brain is having to process a lot of motion and stuff in your peripheral vision at any one time because you know that the barrels might go to the end of the 
the run and come down, or they might go down the the ladder. They might yeah. come down, and that completely changes your spacing and your timing. And yeah. that that therein lies the the real crux of the skill of the game, or certainly that first level. Yeah. Mm. What I would do in that level is uh, move up the first two floors very quickly. Yeah. And then on the third floor, I would move past the second last ladder and stand there and jump barrels. And yes. as soon as there's a gap, I yep. would uh, uh, go back to that ladder because you shouldn't stand under it or before Ooh. it because then you have to deal with unexpected barrels that will mm-hmm. double up. Uh, yep. Move up there, grab the hammer and start scoring some points uh, at that uh, at the second yeah. uh, the last floor. Then repeat, sort of repeat the same thing at the very last bit, which usually is not very hard anymore because as soon as you grab the 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 hammer, you need to move away from under Kong because that's one of the most dangerous the spot, spots to stand stand on. Because yeah, can, sometimes he'll just chuck just, stuff. Straight yeah, he'll just down. Tuck, chuck stuff straight down or in yep. a or diagonally, and yeah. this is the crazy thing because this is. You know, this stuff can randomly happen and it can completely throw a spanner in the work, uh, works and just completely kill you. So even going there to get that um, hammer is already a huge risk that you're taking because you might you might not survive uh, walking walking there and trying to get the hammer. Another really interesting thing about the game, I think, that again, very much keeps it of its time in that it absolutely wouldn't be like this, even if, even in a game that arrived maybe three or four years later collecting the hammer is very precise so mm. you can't just jump in the mm. general area of the hammer you have to have the your sprite make contact with the hammer sprite you can actually get right close to it and miss it by a pixel yeah. uh, and and on top of that it doesn't start doing anything until you've landed back on the platform so you can't mm. like jump grab a hammer in midair and then come down and smash a barrel that sounds like it would be really fun i'd be actually <laughs> really interested to see if they re- effectively just remade this game in like the modern Mario engine, ha- if it would still work, I think it would. I think you know, mm-hmm. with with much slicker, faster movement, with inertia, with yeah. modern collision detection and hitboxes type scenarios and things like that, I think it would still be a really fun game. But yeah. here you've got weird things like the hammer positioning on the on the second hammer on the way up is very deliberately a couple of pixels to the left. So when you come up the ladder, you can't just grab it. You have to go, you have to yeah. wander over to the left a bit, which puts you in danger of oncoming barrels. And there's yeah. all this nasty little stuff, which it's hard to know if it's just fiendish or if it's just 1981 game design. Most of this is kind of exactly why my stomach turns when it comes to playing it, because mm-hmm. I'm so used to Mario being, you know, Mr. Flexible and, you know, he bends to my walls. Yeah, he's so agile. And I've come to this in Animal Crossing, DK64 and other games. I've just gone, oh, he can't. He's not Mario, is he? He's Jumpman. And a little just, waddler. You know. <laughs> it's and, you know, Jumpman, look, it's not Mario. Uh, you can't drop the hammer. Where, you, know, you have to wait for it to time out. And that kind of, yes. that, that bores me, if I'm honest. I'm just like, okay, right, yeah. I like the music because it's from Smash Brothers. Let's crack on. And then like, and then I always forget the full damage every time. That's my biggest sticking point with this game. <laughs> for someone called Jumpman, I mean, I, mean, I want to see a game where they, they call him Full Man. Because I, I want to be able to play this game where you can fall for more than two like centimeters off the ground. He can uh, fall about his own height and that's it, I think. Yeah. Oh, yeah, exactly. It gets me that's every time, exactly. especially on the moving platforms that go up and down. Oh, yeah. The, um, the, the yeah. little girders. Yeah. I always forget yeah. the, um, you know, the distance between Mario's feet and him, you know, dying. And it's just like, oh yeah, the thing's going down. I've lost track of it. And now I'm going to flat on the floor. <laughs> Imagine if we'd played Odyssey back in 1981, obviously our minds would have exploded. <laughs> but then jumping from the top of one of the highest levels and then doing a little, 
you know, damage saving bottom bounce at the, oh, the bottom or whatever. Yeah, it's yeah. Like, blown our minds. It sounds like you know, like Banjo Kazooie or something. You can you can le- you can leap them off the top of a treasure trove cove and do your little beaky move at the bottom, and you're fine. Or in Halo, you can just jump from pretty much any mm-hmm. distance, and as long as you can surf along. The- but this is just like. Yeah. Oh man, I always forget, and it's, it always school. catches me out. And then you have got that little fire pod thing on the ladder, just taunting you. And he seems to react to your move, like your movement. I swear, I go left, <laughs> and he goes right. I know where you're going, mate. And he kind of follows you. He's there taunting you. <laughs> but then underneath it all, like it does, it does make me smile because, like, the game, as much as it winds me up, like the game has got its rules. It is random in terms of you know the, the barrels coming at you, but in terms of actually playing as Mario, it has got quite strict rules. And you think. I would kind of learn by those rules, but because the way my brain's trained to, you know, fling Mario across all sorts of, you know, hurdles, I just can't do it. <laughs> I have done it like once or twice, but I'm never going to get to um, any loops, to be honest, because once I've hit one kind of end game scenario, I'm just like, I can't do it again. Like, it's just, it's just insane. So the game has, obviously has a scoring system. Occasionally it seems a bit, uh, sporadic whether you'll actually get points for jumping over barrels and things it's uh, mm. it seems to be baked into the code that yeah, it doesn't always I clock couldn't figure it out either is it like yeah. one time i would i i hit the flame from the bottom with uh the hammer and got 500 points the other time i got 300 points and i was sometimes you sure. get 800 yeah, yeah 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 there's a few few oddments in there a few little yeah. uh, quirks to it and sometimes uh, when you hop barrels because you do it too early or too yeah. late it won't register as a, know, as, a yeah. as a barrel hop so you won't get scored points for it yeah, yeah. It's hilarious. Uh, the scoring is, uh, I suppose, the most important thing. The scoring is the timer that starts to count down as yeah. you start the level. That's where your biggest points will come from. There's also three collectible items on every stage. The bag, the hat, the, uh, the umbrella. I it's, not assume... on the fr- it's not on the first stage. <laughs> oh, that's true. Yeah, okay. On the other stages. Yeah. Um, yeah. On Donkey Kong 94, they turn up on every stage, don't they? I think yeah. possibly. Again, not even that's the right. first one. But yes, bag, hat, umbrella. I guess the idea was that... These are things that Pauline's dropped and left behind. Yeah. yeah. She's a lady. <laughs> well, you, you're helping her by and you picking get up bo- her items. <laughs> you get bonus points for retrieving it for her on yeah. the way to rescuing her. Yeah. Oh, look, would, look, I've got your purse and your, <laughs> and your umbrella and your head as are well. Are these actually important to proper high school players or are they just too paltry to even worry about? I'm not so sure about that. But if you can grab them, yeah, they're, they're just after your score. So True. So a couple of uh, things want to talk about specifically about this game so one of the one of the fundamental differences between the rom versions is the safe ladders aspect and mikhil i think you know more about this than i do but basically it's a check that the game does internally for barrel behavior so if if mario or Jumpman is climbing a ladder and he's within 16 pixels of a barrel above the ladder the barrel will not roll down that same ladder however in the us set one the international version the hardest version it's changed from 16 pixels to four pixels, mm-hmm. effectively making this pointless. Yeah. Because if the barrel is four pixels above Mario, you ain't, you ain't getting away. You're not getting away, yeah. No. So it's, it's, uh, it's pretty ridiculous. And uh, to be 100% um, complete here, um, the original version, which is also in the hamster set, the, letter, the barrels there actually don't go down letters at all. Yeah. The ladders are safe spaces. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and one other thing that uh, is often mentioned because I think it became sort of slightly mythical after King of Kong Fistful of Quarters came out was the kill screen because there's an amusing scene in the game where they're at the uh, the famous arcade and the dude is there going, come on, everyone, there's going to be a kill screen. <laughs> and they're going like, 
What? What does that yeah. mean? Why? <laughs> um, so not it's certainly not the only game to have a kill screen. Pac-Man also has one. Yeah. And it's normally to do with maths because these games were built on systems that weren't capable of dealing with very high numbers in the, mm. in the, long, the long and short of it. Um, it's level 22, so most mortals will never, ever, ever get anywhere close to this. No, for um, sure. Mentalfloss.com explains. Uh, why does Donkey Kong always break on level 22? So the answer lies in the way that the game sets a time limit for each level. You may have noticed that from the start of each stage, a number in the top right-hand corner of the screen counts down in units of 100. The bonus counter, which tells you how many additional points you'll get should you complete the screen before it runs out. Fail to complete the level before the bonus counter hits zero, and it's game over, by the way. Did we mention that? I don't know. The aim of the bonus counter is simple. It's another incentive to keep the player forging up the screen and deter more skilled players from simply jumping over barrels and racking up unfeasibly right. high scores, of course, on the opening screen. Yeah. With the bonus dwindling by 100 every 1.75 seconds or so, the pressure's on to scale the platforms and rescue the damsel. Each level in Donkey Kong consists of four screens. Uh, each with its own layout of platforms and unique dangers. Once the fourth screen is completed, it's on to the next level, at which point the cycle begins again at an increased difficulty. The barrels are more frequent, the fireballs are speedier. The number of bonus points that you start with depends on which level you've reached. Behind the scenes, Donkey Kong takes the level number you're on, multiplies it by 10 and adds 40, thus yielding the first two digits of your starting bonus figure. If you completed the first four screens and reached level two, for example, the calculation goes like this. 2 times 10 plus 40 equals 60. Therefore, the bonus counter on any level 2 screen will start at 6,000. The game caps its bonus at 8,000, meaning that once you've passed the fourth level, the counter will always remain the same, even when using the above calculation on, say, level 10, should result in a starting bonus of 14,000. It's when we reach level 22 that the bug occurs. Again, behind the scenes, Donkey Kong is still running that same calculation, multiplying the level by 10 and adding 40, yielding 260. But the number 260 is problematic for Donkey Kong's 8-bit hardware because the maximum value it can represent in a single byte is 256. As a result, we get something called an integer overflow where the hardware effectively subtracts 256 from the overflowing value and leaves us with the number 4. Donkey Kong then adds a couple of zeros to the end and we're left with the starting bonus of 400. Because 400 is such a low number, the player is given only a handful of seconds to complete the 117th screen. This means Mario barely has time to reach the second girder before the timer runs out and he's automatically killed. Even for Donkey Kong's most gifted players, the game will always end in those first few moments on the 22nd level. As in Pac-Man, which effectively ends on level 256 due to its own integer overflow bug, Getting the highest possible score in Donkey Kong can only be achieved by exploiting every possible bonus opportunity on each of the 117 screens leading up to its abrupt conclusion. This is made even more difficult because of the random nature of Donkey Kong's programming. The movements of its hazards are so erratic that even its most accomplished players can end the game with wildly varying scores depending on what it throws at them. Donkey Kong's programmers probably assumed that no player would ever be skilled or obsessively dedicated enough to reach such a stage in the game. Nor could they have foreseen that people would still be playing the game well over three decades later and finding ways around Donkey Kong's game-ending glitch. The kill screen. The good news is, Darren, the Donkey yeah. Kong 64 reverse-engineered port doesn't hmm. have the kill screen. All right, <laughs> so, I'm on it. So, 117 <laughs> screens. I'll let you know by tomorrow. <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, this is another uh, reason why uh, Donkey Kong has such wide appeal amongst uh, score players of classic arcade games, uh, you know, early 80s arcade games. It's because a um, th th this game doesn't have to be marathoned for a, a massive score. Um, you know, a, a typical game that reaches the, the kill screen doesn't last longer than three hours. So, mm. you yeah, know, it's, it's quite doable that way. Another yes. thing that uh, was mentioned in uh, by Mental Floss is the wildly varying scores in between each play. It's also yeah. when you watch uh, the King of Kong and some of, some extra materials. You know, you see Steve Steve Weeby, for example, play like hours and hours, mm -hmm. starting from the beginning again, throwing in ignoring a corner. his kid. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> ignoring his kid, um, and. You know, it's it's like what's mentioned by many players is that uh, every tenth run will have the potential to be a, a, a world record-setting run. Uh, so yeah. yeah, it's you you know you have to get that run where you know the 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 odds are stacked in favor of you. Alex seventy nine UK from the Kane and Rince forum says, "I'm pretty good at Donkey Kong. I can't lay claim to any Billy Mitchell-esque high scores. <laughs> Presumably by that he means." legitimate ones uh, but i'm pretty good at donkey kong it's one of my favorite arcade games of all time it's simple fun and nail-bitingly tense once you've cleared a few rounds and you're down to your last man it's one of the purest arcade experiences you can have i think and really epitomizes the golden age of the arcade for me because it was the early 80s and whereas nintendo were taking concepts of other arcade manufacturers and reworking them into their own games effectively of course, there were also bootleg PCBs doing the rounds. Even if you didn't have a Donkey Kong, a legitimate licensed Donkey Kong cabinet in your arcade, you might have found a Conky Kong or a Monkey Kong or a Donkey King. Or a, or a, or a Kinky Dong. <laughs> a Kinky Dong, a Conky Dong. Um, any number of variations. A Yes, uh, this sort of thing was, was rife. Um, it was actually, talking about conversions, it was ColecoVision, as we said earlier, who got the official license back in the day so nintendo games coming out for other machines this was 1982 so pre-famicom uh, august mm -hmm. 1982 in north america official license ColecoVision donkey kong packed in with the console pretty decent port i don't know how exactly it compares to the nes version i've never played it uh, but i think it was meant to be a pretty decent version i think it's possibly also missing one yeah. of the levels uh, I'm not sure. I I oh, have sorry. played it though on the ColecoVision. Uh, oh okay. A, I didn't. I, a never, good while ago, and uh, never played one. Of of home ports of that era, it definitely ranked the highest in my opinion. Mm. Uh, Coleco also provided official conversions for the Atari Twenty Six Hundred and in television consoles, but I think yeah, they because they didn't see those as direct competition for their own new ColecoVision console, so they thought they were retro enough to for it to be worth them making the game and selling the cartridges but not for it not to have an impact on their ColecoVision machine which is interesting coleco yeah. sold six million cartridges grossing 150 million dollars or more with uh, nintendo receiving f over five million dollars in royalties from that licensing deal which in 1982 was a lot of money so yeah, that 2600 version also came out July 82 in television August. Uh, there was a mini arcade Coleco. There was a series of these. They'd licensed various coin-ops from different manufacturers. Pac-Man and Frogger, I think, were among them. Uh, Donkey Kong was there, 1982. There's an Atari 8-bit port, which, as I said, even though I had an Atari 8-bit for many years, 
Never played it. This was also by Coleco. Uh, all the home computer versions did feature the Cement Factory, whereas most of the console versions did not. Hmm. There was a Texas Instruments 99 version in 83, an IBM PC booter version. Not sure if, how official that was. Curiously, there were two official Commodore 64 versions. The first version, and again, this is curious in itself, Atari Soft, who were also making games for the Atari 8-bit computers, would also make some games for rival machines. Uh, so here's one curious quirk of that version. Mario will start hammering as soon as he collects the hammer, even in midair. Mm -hmm. It uses the international ROM level sequence, though, and it was much later reported uh, to the Amiga unofficially as a shareware title hmm. before Nintendo got hot on such things, I guess. But then, three years later, it was reprogrammed, completely reconverted uh, for Ocean by Arcana Software Design. So this version, it actually looks more like the original in that the aspect ratio is retained, whereas the earlier version was horizontally stretched across the TV screen. The hammer works now as per the coin-op, so you can't start hammering midair, and it restores the sliding vertical ladders, which you don't even see in the NES version. Uh -huh. It has the high, how high can you get screen, which isn't, again, also isn't in the NES or earlier versions. Uh, and peculiarly, it goes back to the Japanese ROM level sequence of levels 1, 2, 3, 4, endlessly loop. <laughs> why? I don't know. Nobody even knows why it exists, why there was a second version, but there it is. Came late in the day. Uh, there was a VIC-20 version crammed into 1 or 2K or whatever it was in 1983. MSX in 1986. Spectrum as well. And Amstrad CPC, of course. There was a, a latterly an Atari 7800 version. Uh, so the Famicom NES version is, is worth its own little segment because obviously it was an official port by Nintendo R&D 2. Came out in Japan in 1983. I don't know if there are any differences between the Famicom version and the nes version sometimes you would get superior sound on the famicom game hmm. um i don't think so i haven't seen any mention of that uh, it didn't come to north america until june 86 and the eu until october 86 i guess that was around when the nes launched in the eu uh, as a, as we've already said it was also available to play in gamecube animal crossing as well on as well as on virtual console for wii wii u 3ds and is available now as part of the nintendo switch online's lineup of nes titles which is sort of interesting in the sense that again i think a lot of people wouldn't really necessarily be aware of how different the nes and arcade mm. versions are the nes version is effectively free if you've got an online pass whereas the arcade version hamster are charging you i think a perfectly reasonable six quid for it but a lot of people are just going to go, well, why would I get that? It's the same game. But actually, it kind of isn't. Sort of is, sort of is. We mentioned the N64 version by Rare, reverse engineered. And yes, the Switch version is, I would posit, the absolute definitive way to play this game currently uh, without having access to the original coin-op. Although there is one in Bury in England. And I'm sure there's still plenty around in vintage arcades around the country, around Europe and around America. But if you want to play it at home, the Arcade Archives version is beautifully emulated. It's got all three ROM sets. It's got free play, obviously, high score modes and caravan modes with online tables. And you can even play it in tape mode. So if you've got a vertical monitor or you want to play it vertically in handheld, you can do that. Recommended. Mm. 
Steve Norman from the forum says, before I was even aware of Donkey Kong, I had a game called Crazy Kong on the VIC-20, which I adored. It was purely down to the box art that I ended up with this relatively decent version because there were several crazy and crazy, with a K, Kongs around of greatly varying quality. Much like Scramble and Scramble, with a K, too, during those wonderful Wild West days where, unfortunately, I wasn't so lucky. Since then, I've owned Spectrum version, the NES Classic version on the Game Boy Advance, Game Boy Donkey Kong 94 on the 3DS, the NES Classic Mini version, of course it's on there as well, and more recently, the early, later and international arcade versions on Switch, which was my first time playing any variant of the original. Regardless of the version, I'm not very good at Donkey Kong. If I'm really lucky, I can go around all screens. I'm sure there's patterns to the barrels and strategies about mallets and bonus items, but I've never been able to fathom them. I just love the pick-up-and-play simplicity of it, though, especially when jumping between arcade versions on the Switch release, where I don't have a favourite, but which are all utterly timeless. The game also inspired the isometrically viewed Sega game Congo Bongo and Jumpman on home computers. Also, um, yeah, coded and manufactured or helped with uh, code and manufactured by the same company uh, that uh, Nintendo worked with for uh, the original Donkey Kong. Uh, Simon Sloth from the forum says, despite Donkey Kong being so famous, it wasn't until earlier this year I realised I hadn't played the actual game. I discovered that my childhood memories of Donkey Kong, in fact, emanated from one of the many knockoffs. A familiar tale. My Atari-owning friend who let me watch him play Rampage was kind enough to let me play Donkey Kong. Instead, it wasn't. Who was I to question why there weren't any Kongs or even donkeys in it? Instead, it featured a portly businessman at the top throwing the barrels with the damsel in distress swapped for a bloke holding a briefcase. It might be hard hat Mac, I'm not sure. Uh, when you're a child, you don't ask why your Superman action figure has yellow eyes and a gun, so I didn't even question if it was indeed Donkey Kong. It was only checking what system I played it on that I realised it was different. It was called Monkey Business. Oh, there we go. It was rubbish. <laughs> I played Donkey Kong earlier this year and admire its place in history and as a high school chasing game it's quite addictive. My main criticism and the reason why I don't love it is because when you die it's because your movement three seconds prior. I found I could not make last gasp jumps or dodges due to the speed at which the game chugs along and the slight delay on jumping. Arguably if you're any good you'll be able to make these adjustments and plan ahead but I don't think I'm prepared to invest the time to grasp it. Donkey Kong 94, the Game Boy version, however, is a game I could not get enough of. Mario zips along and his movement is delightful. There's more time to correct for errors, whereas in vanilla DK, you can see death coming from a mile off and can do nothing about it. It took me some time to work out you can fall a short distance as the original taught me otherwise, which instantly made the game easier. I loved how it started out like the original and then opened up into a nice puzzle game. This year I've played all the Donkey Kong games up to the Wii era. The Game Boy entry, in my opinion, is the peak of the series so far, and I would go so far as to say it is potentially the best game I've played on the Game Boy. Hmm. So, anyway, so yeah, Donkey Kong 94. It's not called Donkey Kong 94, it's just called Donkey Kong, but we'll hmm. call it Donkey Kong 94 or Game Boy Donkey Kong. <laughs> it's the game we're going to be talking about now. Darren, did you play this on your Game Boy? No, I act, I actively avoided this because it was just called Donkey Kong, and yeah. I wasn't aware of its um, We're gonna hear this twist. Yeah. yeah, it kind of caught me by surprise. Now, I worked in loads of indie stores in Leighton Buzzard, uh, my town, and every time it was blue tack to a wall for sale, 
it, it was just there and I thought they've put Donkey Kong in the Game Boy like why and I mm-hmm. never even mm-hmm. bothered to put it in the Game Boy and check it out um so yeah I mean me playing it was for the first time you know buying it off the eShop this year and uh yeah lo and behold the the old music kicks in at the start and I'm like yep this is Donkey Kong and then as we just heard in that post it kind of <laughs> it tricks you into you know Massively into thinking it's just the original port of, you know, a port of the original game on your Game Boy. And yeah, and lo and behold, it kind of whaps out a giant puzzle game in front of you, which yeah. is the, the, the birth of one of my, yeah, one of my favorite series, actually. I do like the Mario versus DK stuff. And right. kind of, I didn't even realize this game was the first one of the lot. The progenitor. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Cool. Mikhail, were you aware of what this really was? Yeah, it was spoiled uh, uh, for me very early on because Donkey Kong 94 or Donkey Kong Game Boy was the game that was um, sort of used to sell the Super Game Boy uh, with. So I remember seeing it quite, uh, you know, on quite a few kiosk demo stands uh, running on the Super Game Boy with the colors and everything. And... um, I think I even might have played it on one of such uh, demo stands and... uh, uh, yeah, and, and and gotten into the the puzzly levels uh, after the initial uh, uh, stages. Mm. Yeah, I have a vague recollection of the CMVG review saying that this was more than just a Game Boy conversion. But I didn't have a Game Boy at the time, and when I did yeah. get a Game Boy, I never got around to buying it. So I eventually bought it on 3DS. I think I can't remember if, when it was in a sale or not, but it was yeah, like three or five pounds or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just got around to playing it for the show, and I've finished it now. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I I got the um, um, yeah 3ds eShop version yeah. uh, or uh, port as soon as it came out because I was always interested in this in this uh, game. Um, got uh, maybe like two three worlds in and then you know, stopped playing for some reason. And yeah, yeah, returned to it uh, for the show. Hmm. Yeah, one thing that I've seen mentioned a few places online, which I agree with, although I do understand it would have been. Um, potentially more effort and difficult is it's a shame you can play the uh, Game Boy games on the 3DS with either in either in sort of black and white filter or if you uh, if you press a button you can turn it into kind of yellow and green Mm. as per the original Game Boy but sadly what you can't do is play it as it looked on the Super Game Boy which probably the 3DS could handle but it would have meant extra coding and extra complicated Mm. emulation and yeah yeah. It includes probably some Super NES uh, code as well. Yes, exactly, yeah. which wasn't being emulated officially on the machine at the time. So Yeah. Yeah. But so. I, I do think the colors add quite a bit to this game if, yes. you, uh, if you watch videos of it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I agree, which is why it's slightly disappointing. Uh, Alex79UK says Donkey Kong 94 was a real surprise. It totally fakes you out with its opening, leading you to believe it's simply a port of the arcade original. But oh no, it's not. What follows is a hugely enjoyable puzzle platformer interspersed with some equally enjoyable boss fights. As the game progresses, it's endlessly inventive, throwing all manner of obstacles and new traversal techniques at you. It really is brilliant from start to finish, never so difficult that you get stuck for long, but not so easy that you can first time each level without thinking about it. Hmm. It's quite obvious that the seeds for the later Mario vs Donkey Kong series were being sown right here. I do kind of wish more games had the the 
cojones or the moxie to totally fake you out like that. Yeah. I, don't, I just kind of wish like you turned the game on like Tetris or something. And it just totally turned into some mad adventure game. Yeah, I, I, I really respect Nintendo's courage to just go. Yeah, support of the original Donkey Kong, like naming like the title of the cartridge is just Donkey Kong. There's no. Yeah. The back of the box does yeah. give it away. So we did but, check that earlier because I wasn't actually sh- sure about this. Hmm. I thought maybe I'd only read it in a review, but we did look just before we started recording that it does say it's a 100-level game on the back of the box. But That's yeah, right, yeah so but many every- people clearly didn't know. And also, loads of people got this game without the cardboard box. Well, yeah, that's what I was about to say. Like, every time I've seen it, it's been blue tacked. The cartridge has been blue tacked to a wall go. going, right, you know, five quid for Donkey Kong. And then, yeah, you pop it on and, yeah, this whole thing just unfolds in front of you. I do wish... It's kind of like um, 3D Land and, you know, Captain Toad. They keep on opening up. When you finish right. it, they kind of open up another bit and then another bit. So this is kind of like a very early version of that. But yeah. this is such an extreme. It's like have four levels and then 114 more. You're like, all right, cool. Let's, you know, let's go for it. Or it however seems it is. like commercial suicide. Like, I'm sure it did well for yeah. them. But it, it's, it was a weird decision. Like, yes, it's on Definitely. the back of the box. But why didn't they call it Donkey Kong Busts Out or Donkey Kong super extra levels or what you know on, whatever on Dalus. yeah yeah exactly because i imagine that playing just regular old donkey kong on the game boy in 1994 wouldn't have been that no. appealing to most people for sure i don't know man i think it's the best playing version of donkey kong i i really like the four initial levels of donkey kong right in this guy is like it looks really it i mean the original donkey kong on the arcade looks kind of you know, simple, you know, it's not, mm. a, that's probably too harsh a word, but it's got a style, the original game, and I kind of like it. It's very iconic. The Game Boy one, because it's black and white on the 3DS, or, you know, creamy and white, or black, it, it looks weird, uh, but it looks too basic in terms of, maybe that's done on purpose to trick you when it, you know, I'm releases this adventure game. Like, the first level looks kind of, looks too basic for me, mm-hmm. but the way you can kind of just jump up there, and if you do fall down, Mario's not going to, you know, die. He'll probably just smack his head and go, oh, that hurt a bit, and wiggle his legs around. Like, these little things, when I was playing at this, you know, recently, very recently, I was just like, oh, this is brilliant. This is kind of like, if I was to high score a Mario, a Donkey Kong game, excuse me, it would probably be this one on loop. And then, you know, you get to the fourth right. bit, and it's like, just kidding. It's actually a pretty decent platform puzzler. And you're like, oh, what, what is going on? Yeah, sadly, it doesn't but, actually let you just play the original because that maybe that could have been an unlockable mode when you beat yeah. the game or something just to play mm-hmm. the original and that sort of answers my earlier question about would this game work with relatively modern albeit in this case 25 year old mario controls and the game kind of has the opportunity to spoil it for you by if you leave the attract mode running mario appears on like a little theater and there's all the people in the crowd like moves shows you all the moves yeah and i was like i'm kind of glad i didn't see that before right. i started playing like this whole <laughs> thing has impressed me purely based I think on the I would fact have just that dismissed that as cuteness rather than a tutorial. I don't know, man. I would have looked at that and gone, why is he doing all these Mario 64 esque <laughs> backflips and stuff like that? Like, and I mean, this game was obviously out before Mario 64, right? Yes, that, but that's clearly kind of... informed his moveset in that game. Exactly, yeah. So, like, this game's got a lot to answer for in terms of Mario's, yeah, whole style, you know what I mean? And, and the series uh, versus Donkey Kong, you know? It's, it's incredible that, that this kind of secret has eluded me all these years. And, you know, here we are gushing about a Game Boy game in 2019. Brilliant. Not everyone loves it. Steve Norman from the <laughs> forum says, I'm not a huge fan of Donkey Kong 94. I'll play a level now and again when I remember it's there, but I've never felt the urge to have a long session or even try to finish it. 
I just don't find the puzzles very engaging and would rather be playing a Game Boy version of the original game, like it started with. <laughs> there you go. Dissenting See, voice. The whole series for me is kind of like, I have to be in the right mood to get a key in a door. And now that kind of sounds really like stupid, but like <laughs> sometimes I can't be bothered to work out the puzzle to get the key in the door. And like, I really had to go, right, tonight I'm going to do a world. And all the game is, is just getting a key in the door. I could do that. And that kind of tricked me into completing a world. Because sometimes mm. you yeah. see the level scroll in front of you and you're like, I can't be bothered to work out some clever clogs behind the computer's idea of a puzzle tonight. Yeah. And you turn it right. off. Like Puzzle games like this are very marmite. As much as I like them, I have to be in the right mindset to actually crack a, you know, yeah. crack a few levels and turn it off. And I guess that's the beauty of, well, in this game, on the Game Boy on the original hardware, you'd have to hit a certain threshold to save it. Yeah. That's kind of the beauty of a safe state Five system levels. nowadays. You know what I mean? You can just kind of go, I've done one. That'll do. I'm on the toilet. Sleep Safe mode. state. Safe yeah, state. sleep mode or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Though back in yeah, the day, really probably helps, a different story. But, um... for, for us modern gamers, mm-hmm. um, for sure. Talking about the visuals, uh, whether black and white or color or somewhere in between, um, there's quite a lot more to the visuals here. You've got multiple, like 10 different themed worlds, including the original four stages, I guess. Mm. You know, you've got airplanes and frozen areas and towers and jungles and all sorts of things. And the bit that stands out for me is Donkey Kong's buttocks squeezing through the door at the start of every <laughs> stage. Yeah. yeah, the thing is that the the graphics look pretty simple. You know, the, the sprites are all quite, quite tiny and everything, but Dot there's matrix. a lot of funny yeah. little animations and uh mm. and little touches to it that sort of liven it up it's yeah it's very yeah charismatic is the word i'd use it does a very good job of selling the play that's unfolding in front of you like it does feel very much yeah. now how they've always spoken about mario being a play it does feel like a show and that yeah. kind of a track screen demonstrates that you know um but in terms of like overall visual design and all that yeah i, I really like the adventure you know the puzzle part of it like i I do think it looks, you know, really decent, and it reminds me of um my well one of my favorite Game Boy games that I recently spoke about, uh, Super Mario Land Two: Six Golden Coins. The yeah. presentation is kind yeah. of similar, and they use you know various uh, they they borrow two a lot years of sound later, effects. isn't it? Ah, oh, right, okay. So probably there's probably a lot of shared um, assets and stuff. Yeah, I think this know, this, this this I think Six Golden Coins is ninety two, isn't it? So, yeah, right. Yeah. No, 93, 93. Oh, okay. There you go. Yeah. So. Or at least, no, maybe you're right. I think 93 was the European release. Right. With yeah. Mm. yeah. So within it, yeah. Then. Yeah, sure. It would have shared some tech and stuff probably. You know, it's... and it's got all these like cool little mini games when you complete, well, when you complete a level with the three items that we mentioned earlier that are very um female heavily based upon. Uh, yeah, you get a mini game and like that reminds me of Six Golden Coins as well. Yeah, there's a lot of... um shared uh yeah admiration for the two the whole game is sort of a strange vortex that sucks in elements from everything donkey kong and mario really hmm. mm. and, you, know, you, know, you can you can pick up the hammer and you can throw it in whenever you want and pick it up again on a different floor <laughs> which is crucial for later puzzle solving but like just stuff like that all these kind of modern i say modern you know <laughs> it feels modern compared, compared to the original to DK. dk yeah 13 years later it's, uh, yeah Oh, but it's just so many things that I just really appreciated and it kind of, it, but it also made me appreciate the original DK because it's stuck to, you know, like the, the game is what it is like, you know, and there's a lot of rules to be learned. And I, it, in a weird way, this, this new version for me made me appreciate the old one more because it just showed just how much skill goes into that original game if you were to do the King of Kong stuff, you know? 
Like, sure, I could play this game on high score with all these mod cons of throwing hammers and falling from a high distance, but that's not what the original game was. You know what I mean? And I'm kind of glad they did the twist you know, past the four levels because this game isn't a Donkey Kong game as such. It's something completely different. And yeah, I can see why they added all these bits and bobs in this game. Because at first you're like, well, there's only four levels. Why, have I, why can't I do backflips and somersaults? And then all of a sudden it's like, bidding, here's a whole adventure game. And I can't stress how much it really threw me off. <laughs> like I was yeah. just like, this is unreal. And most of my feelings will go back to the twist because it just completely rug pulled me. And I was just, yeah, I, if it was a real rug, I would have been firmly on the floor with my teeth up my nose. What's interesting is uh, that one of the directors and, and main course designer on the game, Takao Shimizu, went on to uh, be producer on Super Mario Galaxy and, uh, and Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time 3D. Uh, he's also the UI system director for both the NES and the SNES Classic Editions. Hmm. Yeah. What about the audio? So obviously that's, that's where the tech here is completely different. The thing that really struck me is the extraordinary stereo use <laughs> that playing it on the 3DS, it sounded like it was almost surround sound. It was so... Uh, sort of crazily s- stereo all over the place. <laughs> was that the footsteps going from left to right? And yeah. Stuff like that? yeah. A few other was, points as well. Yeah. It was very, yeah, for a Game Boy game. I don't know if that was how it was on the Game Boy, surely. It must have been. I'm not too sure. But, well, um, with headphones on, yeah. Yeah, with headphones on, yeah. That's how I play most of my games nowadays. Yeah, it was oddly, um, yeah, like you say, a bit too much of a an immersive thing for what's going on on screen. It's like, do I need to be hearing these footsteps left and right of me? Probably not, but hey, it's you know it was pretty decent regardless. Um, but yeah, it, like like I said, it it reminds me a lot of Six Golden Coins. So all of them, like the music and the vibe, it really kind of hit a little nostalgic spot for me that I wasn't expecting. Yeah, I remember um, Pauline's uh, screaming very vividly, the the high pitched squeal. Uh, oh, I can't do it. Yeah, I, <laughs> the, I tried, but I heard it in my head and my mouth wanted to try yeah. to do it. It sounds like a kitten I think, meowing. I think the mute. Yeah. <laughs> I think the music is a bit of a mixed bag. You know, some stages the music gets quite annoying and there's only yeah. like three repeating yeah, tones or something. But then there's some pretty catchy tunes as well there. Uh, hmm. Yeah, every now and then. Interestingly, then. the composer Taisuke Araki only worked on two games, as far as I can tell. Uh, Donkey Kong and Wave Race on the Game Boy, and that was it. Mr. Ixalite from the forum says, For Kana Rince's Game Boy podcast, check that out, by the way, listener. Uh, I stated that my ideal handheld game was a 2D platformer, had levels, a distinct presentation, and some sort of context. DK94 may be the platonic ideal of those criteria. In true Mario fashion, the game has a seemingly endless supply of ideas with new enemies and hazards showing up every other level. Despite the limited input options, Mario's excellent controls are also present. I eventually found myself handstanding and backflipping all over the place sometimes cutting puzzles short as a reward for skilled play. Overall, I'm rather impressed how much stuff they managed to cram into one cartridge, including the cute tutorial-like interludes. There's even a death animation unique to a single attack of the very final boss. For some reason, that stuck with me. Highly enjoyable. So yeah, as, as stodgy and stiff as Jumpman was in the original Donkey Kong, Mario is as flexible and athletic here as you could hope for in a 1994 8-bit handheld game and in fact exactly as Mr. Ixalite talks to there this game seems to be very popular with speedrunners there is no shortage of videos of speedruns on YouTube and 
that's exactly where it comes into play because they're all using basically they're they're all kind of jumping higher than you would normally by kind of backflipping everywhere doing the handstand and yeah. and super jump as well so yeah, yeah there's some sort of a triple triple jump as well in there right if you it, jump on the spot after doing the handstand jump then you jump even higher ah uh, okay yeah and you don't need any of that to actually beat the game um the game is incredibly generous mm -hmm. with lives as we found out like it gives you one-ups you can grab a one-up on most levels uh you can get one-ups between uh stages by collecting the umbrella and uh bag and hat and you get some kind of roulette game to get more one-ups uh Mikhail, you were saying you had like 90 lives or something by the final world in reserve mm. yeah yeah i was i think i had 88 lives in, uh, right. in reserve by the final yeah. world yeah but yeah. for all that it's not i wouldn't say it's an easy game uh i would say quite a, some of the levels i would say are first timers but certainly over the 100 plus stages there were a lot of levels that i died on quite a number of times yeah me too some some uh, that died like repeated deaths but i think um alex 79 uk pretty much bangs it on you know the nail on the head for me he says you're never too stuck for long but mm -hmm. no levels are you know well hardly any levels are like oh i know what to do exactly you know um so, so some levels i did just you know backflip my way through some geometry at some point i was like well that wasn't supposed to happen like I think the um the the communication of the platforms is not a hundred percent in terms of uh, can I jump through that? Like some of the puzzle solutions are like, oh, I've now picked up this little item so I can make a ladder appear out of nowhere. Yeah, but I was never a hundred percent sure if I could climb through that part of yeah, the right. horizontal geometry. And it, most of the time, it's kind of a bit translucent, you know, opaque. You can see through it, but sometimes it's like I shouldn't be able to climb through this bit, and it kind of. It didn't make sense with the solution of the puzzle, mm. but at the end of the day, I didn't care because I had the key in the door, and that was always my goal yeah. when I flicked the game on. I thought, yeah. right, I'm in the mood for this. Let's get that key in the door. That's all the game is. That's all the game is. For me and puzzle games, like I really have to be like in the zone for it. Mm. And if I'm not in the mood for it, you know, if I'm forced to kind of like get ready, get it done for the podcast, I had to really like go right. This game's simple. It's just key in the door. So yeah, sometimes <laughs> I would just fluke my way through some geometry and go, don't matter, key in the yeah. door in it. Well, I think. Um... The reason I got on with this puzzle game more than some even is that even though the levels are prescriptive in in many senses, in that you have to follow a certain set of actions to complete them, there is variation based on, for instance, if you, you might let some enemies out of a cage, and depending at what time you've let yeah. them out, that's going to affect the rest of the entire stage because you're going to be jumping from you know different place to different place um, mm. there's like an optimal way to do every stage but you might not you might be able to wing it and kind of get your way there the key the key that you're talking about that Darren's talking about in case you don't know uh, it's not one that can uh, be left on its own devices for a great length of time so a lot of the puzzles are actually about re-grabbing the key while it's flashing about yeah. to go out go to reset position which and it's not just a key tension. that you stuff to in your pocket. It's a it's a massive key that you need to jump on top. Yes, uh, on yeah, top Mario of, Brothers and then lift above right. your head. Exactly. Yeah. And then yeah, you can lug, never lug around. You can you can't climb while holding the key. Yeah. You can only jump and throw. Yeah, I mean that was that was the other it, thing. It's got, it immediately limits your your move set as well when you once you're lugging a yeah. key around. Yeah. You were saying about um, obviously this game definitely informs the Mario versus DK and the mini series, but it's also a grab bag of influences from previous. Mm -hmm. Mario yeah. games, including Super Mario Brothers 2, which is often mm -hmm. 
you know, obviously because it wasn't really a Mario game, it's often kind of, uh, it probably has the least stuff brought forward from it. But here you pick enemies up, you throw them and it's very, it feels exactly like Doki Doki Panic's, you know, vegetable mm. chucking. <laughs> Strange, yeah. isn't it? Because it feels entirely natural in this game to be jumping on enemies, not to kill them, but to pick them up. I don't mm. know what, what they do as designers to make you feel that way. Maybe it's just the way Mario moves. Backs. Yeah, you yeah. know, but it's strange, isn't it? Like, there's just no information. The game doesn't really tell you much about anything. But for just 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 to jump on an enemy's back and not kill it and go, oh yeah, I can pick it up. Like, there's I don't know. Weird, the there's some the weird team. stuff with enemies as well. I mean, some enemies actually, there you can't even call them enemies because they cannot harm you at all. They just bimble like, around. Yeah, like the the ladybugs. <laughs> some can you, burn you. you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like the ladybugs, they can't even hurt you when they walk uh, hurt you when you uh, when they walk into you. Mm. So you can just you use basically use them as elevators yeah yeah and there really is like i think it's one of those games because there are so many levels obviously the the sets of levels have themes but one there really is an extraordinary amount of variety in the in the classic mario style i think yeah. if i was going to recommend this game to anyone who'd played something recently it would probably be captain toad that's the game mm. that it makes me think of in that it's got that mm. same sort of even though yeah it's totally different perspective and 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 whatever else but it has that uh sort of incredibly consistent puzzle design mm -hmm. that you can yeah. you know you feel you can rely on every stage there were a few yeah. stages that had me uh cussing quite a bit but uh <laughs> yeah it's it's this sort of uh, very consistent set of mechanics that you use for everything but then the way they apply those and the way they design the stages makes you do a lot of different things actually and I was mentioning the the enemies before as well, like the uh, like the ladybugs. But there are enemies that you actually kind of need to solve puzzles. Yeah, like the monkeys with the hanging tails that you yeah. need uh, for to to. Which is kind of a DK Junior thing. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and there are the sort of what looks like uh, Greek warrior helmets with shields uh, that yes. that push you when when they see you, but you actually need them to uh, push you through some tiny openings when you're crouching down because you can't yeah. slide and crouch or move and crouch in this yeah. game. Yeah. yeah, you mentioned earlier, Darren, the in inability of Jumpman to drop the mallet mm. or the hammer. But in this game, whole screens are designed around throwing the hammer up in the air and grabbing it again while you get right, on yeah. to the next level, which... Uh, hammer chain grabbing. To, yeah, it took me ages to work out what was going on there. And there's a lot of yeah. timed stuff about setting up so you touch these icons like darren said and you might be able to put a ladder on the screen or a bouncy platform or a or a just a ledge to stand on but they will all dissipate and some of the levels are about working out in which order to collect the icons to put the pieces into place so that you can still get to the key and then still get it back a lot of a lot of the levels of the puzzle is getting back as much as getting to the key as well so mm. there's i think it's one of those games where if i tried to sort of think about every scenario that it had put me in it would be actually quite challenging there's yeah I'm, I'm getting sort of flashes of you know i'm remembering being blown off platforms on the airplane stage and obviously uh the classic uh stalactites of ice you know icicles dropping <laughs> down and becoming platforms and all that kind yeah. of thing but there's actually a there's a huge amount of stuff it crams into this little game. There's a lot of lever pushing as well. 
a lot of levers. Open, open and close shutters to yes. change directions of, uh, of of conveyor belts. Mm -hmm. And then we've got uh, DK Jr. causing yes. havoc as well. Uh, yeah, by by oh, uh, yeah, flipping flipping levers. And he's very it's, it's very funny when you watch him. He's very amusing because he's 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 kind of trolling. You know, he yeah. sometimes he just dances around a lever lever. <laughs> he touches it with uh, with his monkey paws, and then he sort of. <laughs> looks at you at the camera and then he lets go of it again he doesn't he doesn't push the lever you know and nice he dances fake. keeps on dancing yeah. around again yeah yeah <laughs> yeah what a what a little git many mushrooms are in there yeah. which take away your moveset set and make you useless in some instances getting hit by one is instantly lethal mm -hmm. because it puts you in a impossible positions squidges you mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. you get squidged into paper mario kart yeah. styley by a barrel um yeah, yeah and the thing that finally comes into play quite late on in terms of it being an essential move is that if you pull down and press the button to flip onto your hands you actually need to do this to get barrels into play yeah uh, mm -hmm. to chuck them at uh, the bosses i think yeah. so, again so i mean the even just even if they just made a game here of just all the boss stages back to back that would have been a, a reasonable donkey kong sequel yeah, but actually, they've put in multiple, multiple levels in between all the others. Yeah. It's an extraordinary the, the, package. The, the mid-boss stages uh, usually always have you try to reach the top. Yeah, like you would in the original Donkey Kong arcade yes. game, and then the end-boss stages is uh, where you actually have to start hurt chucking him. barrels so yeah. okay and hurt him. Yeah, or or sometimes enemies or yeah. anything else you can get your hands on. Yeah, uh, I mean. It's just there's just a lot of game and a lot of variety and yeah, yeah it's a lot of ideas high quality Nintendo fare I would say and um, yeah I think un unplayed by so many people who just not surprisingly assumed that it was Donkey Kong on the Game Boy <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, after yeah. completing the game have you gone back to the initial first four levels with all the knowledge of Mario and his movesets because oh no I haven't really it just completely just trivializes the whole thing it's just oh, like wow. yeah you can just backflip way to the top that's three seconds done next level ah. it could, yeah you could you just flick through it like yeah. that's how the speed running starts that's right that's it mm. told you this time next year I'll um <laughs> I'll be number one <laughs> <laughs> yeah no it's 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 such an interesting setup where it's the game is really part puzzle, and the puzzles aren't usually huge head head scratchers. Uh, I haven't been stumped for very long on uh, on much. Oh, I had a few. Uh, and then there is, you know, the the skill part where you actually need to to execute the puzzles. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. Which, yeah, it. I mean, it's also not hugely demanding. You know, speaking subject subjectively from my uh, point of view, but the way these two elements come together uh can be quite tricky indeed and uh, make for a nice nice perfectly balanced bit of friction uh yeah as far as i'm concerned mm. Mm. Uh, it's always the levels that had like the arrows pointing up and down left and right and a lever or a lever it's just like i looked at it and i was just like i haven't got the mental dexterity to work <laughs> this out today just let's just just to turn it off but yeah i know what you mean like they are yeah i would it's just it's just impressive how a platform game and its mechanics work really well yeah. into a puzzle game. It's, I had um, the I had the um, experience that when as soon as I started overthinking a puzzle and started yeah. making making it more complicated than it mm -hmm. uh, than it probably was, 
I uh, started dialing dialing my thoughts back uh, a couple of notches because I knew it couldn't be that cumbersome or, or complicated. Yeah. So making things usually making things more simple and thinking about things in a more simple way would uh, bring the solution. But weirdly, suits and I suits a listener to the show, member of the community. We both got stuck on exactly the same screen by overthinking it. You actually you pointed this out that we both had the same confused thought process where we thought we almost had to kind of semi-glitch the level to beat it and that there was a fail state but actually there wasn't no. which i was surprised that there that i thought there was but it turns out that we were oh but it's interesting that we both both got done by the same yeah um, but it, it it it's not it's it's kind of badly communicated that puzzle was so basically what you have are these ice blocks that will be melted by flamey guys yeah uh to to make the way f- uh, for you and you have to sort of guide them around the level mm-hmm. and uh what you and suits were thinking was uh that you actually needed to uh close a shutter yeah before uh before two blocks of ice were melted yes. so you leave a spot where you can chuck the key through and yeah. get yourself right. through and then reach the end of the level so that you you know because yep. if you uh would uh open the lever then the the the, the shutter down would uh, would be close to, exactly. to the door yeah. but the whole thing is uh and this is uh kind of uh yeah kind of badly uh communicated is that you actually when the horizontal sh- shutters are shut you can and there was just a ladder attached to one of them so you could just even though you feel like okay i'm shut off from that part of the level you aren't yep. you can just stun Stand right. above the level and press down, and you climb down the ladder. You have so. to have chuck the key down, then pull the lever, then go down the ladder. Exactly. It was as simple as that. Yeah. yeah. Go. Yeah. <laughs> Face palm. Psycho yeah. hype from the forum. And you contributed, I think. Hmm. It says Donkey Kong 94 was a real surprise treat for me when it came out. I would have been 12 years old at the time, and I was just getting into that age where I was starting to appreciate the brief but already established history of video games. I knew very little about Donkey Kong at the time, having been a tad too young to grow up in the arcade scene, but I knew it was an important series, so I was curious to give the new Game Boy version a try. I remember picking the game up at Toys R Us that summer it came out. It was always a thrill buying games at Toys R Us. Instead of pulling a box off the shelf, you had to grab a paper ticket that you would bring up to the special cage window where a staff person in a closed-off room had access to all the premium items locked away in a kind of video game armoury. When I got home and plugged in the game cartridge, I was taken aback but strangely delighted by the simple presentation of those first four classic Donkey Kong levels. At this point, I assumed it was basically just a Game Boy port of the original game. On the contrary, after stage four, there was a cutscene where Donkey Kong snatched up Pauline and hauled her away into a city. The first city level opened up and suddenly it all made sense. This was the real game. But still, what a clever prologue. Such a great way to pay homage to the past while simultaneously paving the way towards something new. The rest of the game completely sucked me in. It struck just the right balance of puzzle and platformer. I loved all the acrobatic moves Mario had at his disposal, especially those crazy headstand flips. And with the levels themselves, it was often fun to figure out the right sequence of actions you needed to take to get the key to the exit door. The fact that there were 101 levels was astounding to me. It felt so generous. And it was. I would go on to replay the game multiple times over the years, and while it's impossible to relive the wonder and surprise of that very first run-through, it's still a fun adventure even today. Hmm. And uh, one more thing about the moves. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, it, they also... What surprised me when I really started playing this game is that it's strangely um, reminded me of some of the uh, you know Mario's athletic moveset in Super Mario 64, way before that was a thing. Yeah, no, we absolutely... Uh, yeah, we said earlier that, that there was no doubt that the moveset that they gave Mario in the N64 game, because that was in development at this point by the time this came out. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm absolutely convinced... Yeah. You know, swinging from. Well, actually, I suppose the thing like swinging from a wire. Did does he do? He doesn't do that in sixty four, does he? No, he, he does, does it in, in sunshine. In sunshine, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah it's mo- 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 uh, mainly the uh, change direction backflip or yep. cartwheel jump, sure. and yeah. then of course the you know jumping from a crouch position, uh, yeah, kind of a mechanic, yeah. Mm. So yeah, again, just very briefly, a series that we could do more on in the future. Um, but it sounds like Darren, at least you've played some of these. There's, uh, I hadn't realised that hmm. this series has run or ran for twelve years, from two thousand and four on the GBA all the way up to two thousand sixteen's Mini Mario and Friends Amiibo Challenge, the Mario versus Donkey Kong series, which is undoubtedly uh, where it kind of got its beginning. Even though it was ten years later, it was started here. Yeah, such a mind-blowing thing to even comprehend in 2019 that you know a series that i've enjoyed over the years oh you know off and on i haven't played every single one of them but yeah this Mm. this is the the start of it all yeah i've played um the gba one which is where i really started to think yeah these you know it it reminds me of um a little bit like crusty's funhouse that kind of yeah that that game based on quavers on the snares what was that called push it or something push over something like that yeah it sounds yeah so it's got kind of got that vibe about it um, yeah, I, I, you know, I've really, I, I, actually, we was playing it the other day. There's a new one on the 3DS, I do believe. And it's kind of, mm. it's got a mini Mario with a key, you know, it'll wind up, yeah. it's like a little wind up version of Mario. And yeah. you kind of, you have to, um, drag and drop all these tiles on the bottom screen to make Mario follow a path. It's not kind, it's not, you know, one of these games as we've just been speaking about with DK94, but just the whole vibe of these little toy versions of Mario and Donkey Kong, you know puzzling off against each other it's just a nice little kind of side thing that nintendo have been get doing get the key in the door I get exactly get that he's key got the flippy the flippy uh things that he can hold on to he loves the flippy things he can hold on to yeah so, um, <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, but yeah man like i'm very curious about um you know getting involved with the games that i have missed mm. in the series because this kind of this game this game dk94 has kind of rekindled some sort of yeah reignited some sort of flame that had been put out yeah. because yeah like i said this this series is very marmite for me the immediate follow-up amari versus donkey kong is pretty much in the same mold but then the mm, series yeah. the more it started using the mi- the minis it sort of evolved m- more into sort of a lemming sort of thing right yeah yeah so yeah it's changed quite a bit uh, yes. over time as well but yeah i think people should uh yeah investigate mario versus donkey kong for sure that was uh nintendo software technology um with a director yukimi shimura who also has credits with uh intelligent systems I yeah and if you had a 3ds on launch you would have been given it as part of your oh, that um, was the ambassador program ambassador do nice. thing yeah 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 it's a good one cool okay well as regular listeners will know we are going to be talking about some more donkey kong games we're focusing on the the actual donkey kong uh sort of lineage from here on with super nintendo games and uh gamecube and Wii and so on 
Um, but as I say, never say never as regards to other sub-series and, and whatever else. For now, we've got some three-word reviews. Follow us on Twitter at CanaanRince. We've got uh, four for the older game and four for the newer game. For the original DK first, we have Lemon Leroy, or Lemon Leroy, says, It's-a-me, Jumpman. Simon Sloth says, Not monkey business. And I feel there's one very much. Simon Meredith, one more try. Bearfish Pie says, Barrels o' fun. And for the... Game Boy Game 94. Suits says taxing in places. Mr. Exolite says adventures in backflipping. Andrew Elmore, surprising portable treasure. And Psycho Hype finishes with quintessential puzzle platformer. And I just found an extra bit of trivia nugget while we were recording. Just to correct something, really. Falcon was licensed to distribute the arcade game Donkey Kong in Europe which it did with modified graphics and the name Crazy Kong, this is often mistaken to be a bootleg game. Mm. But it's not. They did the same with the sequel Donkey Kong Jr. as Crazy Kong Jr. or Crazy Jr. Crazy Jr. What a name. From Giant Bomb. So yes, <laughs> if, you, if you were a kid in, the, uh, in Europe and you saw Crazy Kong and it was by Falcon, it was an official licensed product. They just decided to change the name because why Donkey Kong, I suppose. Yeah. There we go. Right, let's wrap up our feelings on whether we'd uh, recommend either, neither, or both of the Donkey Kong games that we've properly covered today. Darren. Oh, what a strange emotional kind of <laughs> roller coaster, so to speak. Cause it's your, it's into... your own um, heritage being being Donkey Kong incarnate, just, Darren. Just, com- uh, yeah, and it's, it's just completely kind of just rattled the whole thing because I thought I knew Donkey Kong as a series, you know. <laughs> You know, from start to finish so far. Well, no, it's not even finished because it'll probably go on forever until <laughs> we're all dead. Yeah. Um. But for you know, I've played DK the original, like I said, off and on over the years. Not really given it any dedication. I've watched King of Kong and thought, you know what, that's quite impressive that people play Donkey Kong seriously like that. Mm. But I've never really got on with the mechanics and the physics, and mm. you know, I've always just basically forgotten how Mario handles, and it's just lending me going, oh, this game, and then just turning it off and going. But you know, it's a game from the past, and when you look at it. Amongst all those other games at that time, this game must have stood out like a, you know, like a glowing, lovely thumb of delight. Mm. I don't really know. What it's, it's, not, it's not a sore thumb. It's the, what's the opposite of a sore thumb? Just yeah. a nice, sweaty one. I don't know. Yeah, it must have looked really good amongst all the other thumbs. <laughs> it's getting late. Uh, but yeah, I, I appreciate DK, the original game, for, um, for you know, for what it is. But it's never one that I've really got on with, even though I had to do it to get the coins in DK64. You know, I have had to put the work in at some point, but it's never one that I've actually, you know, I've never been eager to go back to it and go, yeah, DK, woo, Mm. and, you know, enjoy myself. Um, But, you know, I have enjoyed playing it this time, you know, the the NES version, which is kind of uh, easy mode or, you know, know, something along those lines. It's still fun. Yeah, it's good fun. Yeah, it's good fun. Um, But then... You know, moving on to DK94, uh, I don't know if you can guess already, but that game kind of just swept me off my feet. And uh, yeah. yeah, I'm pretty much over the moon that we got the opportunity to do it. And, you know, the, 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 these can of rinses I've been doing lately, like, I've always had these kind of weird, like, m- like little, little mini epiphanies of these games. Like, I, I've always had some sort of opinion going in and going, you know what, I don't really like Double Dash. And you come out the other side thinking, it's not that bad. It's pretty good, actually. You know, or I don't really like this. And you come out the other side thinking, it's all right. And this like DKGB94 
I was like, ah, oh, it's just going to be a port of the original game. Right. It plays pretty well, actually. Yeah, actually. Oh, yeah, it's four levels done. Hang on, what's going on here? Blindsided. Just completely just gut punches <laughs> you in there. Well, it kind yeah. of tickles you and, yeah, flips you over and uh, gives you a nice spoon. It's like, there you go, guys. Mm. Have, have, a, have a really nice game and enjoy it. And I'm really glad I spent, uh, what, 3.59 on it on the 3DS mm. eShop. And, um, yeah, just put some time in over the last couple of weeks or months to... Uh, see it through to the end because it is a charmer and i can see why people have a lot of admiration for it and will i go back to it probably not because time is you know yeah. more scarce than ever but it has kind of reminded me to you know try some um you know off to the side nintendo stuff even mm. though it has mario on the front cover it is still kind of a departure for them and yeah it's always worthwhile checking out the the hidden corners of nintendo because you know you might get surprised like this one Smashing. Also, the uh, we think the cover of the Game Boy box was the first time Donkey Kong sported his now iconic red necktie. Not only that, he sports uh, sports it on the uh, tennis screen as well. Right there, you go. Yeah, so I never loved Donkey Kong the original, uh, other than that Game of Watch version, which I did play a lot of. For me, it's just been something that I've dabbled with much like Darren, really, NES versions ported to other machines and just gone, okay, yeah, that's Donkey Kong. I understand. That's Mario's debut. That's important. I watched the video, the the DVD of King of Kong years ago, enjoyed that, and uh, and had that usual, you know, thing of, wow, I could not play a game that kind of seriously and committedly, especially a game that I actually find quite stodgy and a bit stiff and frustrating to play at times but yeah the more you play it particularly since i got the arcade archives version on switch which is yeah i think as i say the definitive legitimate version to own these days outside of owning a cabinet a coin op pcb um i have come to appreciate the actual uh the depth of the game and the skill of the game more and more so i mean i would recommend that anyone who's got any interest in video game history if you're listening to this stage of this podcast, you probably you probably should have the Arcade Archives version of Donkey Kong in your collection. Um, the Game Boy game, so I, I wasn't as blindsided as Darren because I remember that the review, at least one review in the CVG in 94 saying, hey, this game's like 100 levels long and it's really good. But it still wasn't enough for me not to think, yes, but it's just Donkey Kong. I still don't think I'd actually quite got my head around that it this is really a mario game like this is a Mm. this is a secret extra 2d mario puzzle platformer that probably a lot of people haven't played it's got all the hallmarks of that Uh, in some ways i'd say it feels like more of a mario game than super mario land which is kind of Mm. a weird side mario game um and it makes sense that it came after six golden coins so yeah i mean Again, anyone who loves the kind of the core Mario series, this is not quite part of that, but it's a very, very close cousin. Um, and it's got me wanting to rebuy a game I had years ago, which is the first Mario versus Donkey Kong. Um, and yeah, it really is a 100 level of top tier Nintendo level puzzle design platform quality. And as such, if you've got a 3DS still, you can play it for a few quid or you can pick up an old copy of the cart via Game Boy or GBA SP. Do that. 
And it's finished with Mikhail. Yeah, um, the original Donkey Kong arcade game um, is incredibly important. Uh, it puts Nintendo uh, on the map uh, as far as uh, yeah their uh, storied history in video game development goes. Um, but one thing we didn't go into in, uh, into the graphical side, I think it also really defined the look of their 8-bit games, that sort of cartoony, sure. Miyamoto-informed style uh, with the big toothy mouths and, uh, you know, chubby and, 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 and chunky uh, characters. Um, and, you know, yeah, the first platform game to have a jump button, that's all super important. But I think most importantly for me, this game still has it. And I didn't get that from just playing the odd credit every now and then on uh, an emulation box. Uh, it took me to really sit down with, uh, you know, playing a version that I've invested some actual money into and a lovingly crafted recreation of the, uh, of the uh, arcade game to really catch the bug for it. Um, I can't rule out that the whole king of kong phenomenon uh has sort of you know um has sort of played into that uh, that i felt more um uh, yeah felt like i had to invest more into it that i that i may otherwise would have mm. uh but yeah phenomenal game still um and i will um expand on that a little bit further after i've done talking about donkey kong uh, 94 which is, as far as I'm concerned, maybe, you know, the uh, uh, together with A Link to the Past, the best uh, Game Boy game I've ever played. I think it's... I'm not a massive handheld gamer. If given a choice, I always much prefer gaming on a larger screen. Yeah. But for me, it's kind of the perfect handheld game. Something you can just, you know, that doesn't require a lot of immersion and investment and you can just play a couple of levels off in uh, in small small chunks and then continue it later on and i think also that's how the best the game is best enjoyed it's not i don't think uh, i mean all respect due to speedrunners it's not the type mm-hmm. of game i would sit down for hours on end to play from beginning to end but yeah it's that sort of sweet it hits that sweet spot for me between uh yeah this the the, the level of its puzzles and the skill uh, needed to execute on them, uh, and uh, yeah, just it, a, a very nicely balanced bit of uh, difficulty. Um, but and now I'm going to do the unthinkable. I'm going to compare it, also sort of counter to uh, to counter what uh, Darren has been saying. I'm going to compare Donkey Kong '94 to the original arcade game. Uh-huh. Um, I'm done now with Donkey Kong '94, having played all the way through it. Uh, it's hundred stages. I'm Certainly not done with playing through the the only four stages of the original mm. coin op. Mm-hmm. Um, there is something playing in that game, something wicked going on <laughs> uh, um, under the hood that makes it different every time you throw in that coin and hit the start button. That yeah, it keeps keeps you on your toes and that it it maintains a level of tension throughout the duration of playing it. Uh, that is just endlessly addictive. And I can totally see why people, even young people, uh, get into this game nowadays and, you know, they, they become obsessed with it. It's uh, it's truly something else. And, yeah, I mean, I knew it was important, but I never knew it was it had could have this large pool on me. Hmm. Wonderful. Well, 
that's DK. We'll see you back for some Donkey Kong Country trilogy action in the not-too-distant future. But until then, it remains for me, Leon, to thank Darren and McKeel, as well as all our correspondents, Editor Jay, and to you for listening. If you've enjoyed this podcast and you appreciate the time and effort that goes into everything we do, please do subscribe, rate and review wherever you can. Best of all, a dollar a month. Patreon.com slash rinse. It goes an ever such a long way. It's less than 80p and it's very much appreciated. You get every Kane and Rinse podcast one week earlier as a sign of that appreciation and often extended and an exclusive monthly podcast. Think about it. Next time, in issue 376, Capcom was so preoccupied with whether or not they could, they didn't stop to think if they should. Dino Crisis. Up the fire.